lesson for this Transfiguration Sunday is found recorded in 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah was traveling with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The sons of the prophet who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord is taking your master away from you? Then he said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, because the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophet who were in Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord is taking your master away from you? He said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, because the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Then 50 men from the sons of the prophets came and stood and watched them from a distance. While the two of them were standing at the Jordan, Elijah took his cloak, folded it together, and struck the water. The water divided to the right and to the left. Then the two of them crossed on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask me for whatever I can do for you before I am taken from you. Then Elisha said, Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He said, You have asked for a difficult thing. If you see me being taken from you, it will surely be yours. If not, then it will not. While they were walking and talking, Suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire came and separated them. So Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha was watching and crying out, My father, my father, Israel's chariot and its charioteers. Then he did not see him anymore. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at the 12th verse. St. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have this kind of hope, we act with great boldness. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not continue to look at the radiance as it was fading away. In spite of this, their minds were hardened. Yes, up to the present day, the same veil remains when the Old Testament is read. It has not been removed because it is taken away only in Christ. Instead, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But all of us who reflect the Lord's glory with an unveiled face 
are being transformed into his own image. From one degree of glory to another, this too is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry as a result of the mercy shown us, we are not discouraged. On the contrary, we have renounced shameful and underhanded methods. We do not operate in a deceitful way, and we do not distort the word of God. Instead, by proclaiming the truth clearly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. We continue now with the gospel according to Mark chapter 9, beginning at the second verse. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone by themselves. There he was transfigured in front of them. His clothes were radiant, dazzling white, whiter than anyone on earth could bleach them. And Elijah appeared to them together with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were terrified. A cloud appeared and overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 9. We read verse 8 and following. God said to Noah and to his sons who were with him, Listen, I will now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with everything that you, with you that has the breath of life with the birds and with the livestock and with every wild animal that is on the earth with you, with everything that went out of the ark, even with every wild animal on the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all living creatures be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never will there ever again be a flood to destroy the earth. God also said, this is the sign of the covenant between me and you and every living creature with you that I am going for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the cloud and it will be the sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring a cloud over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the cloud, I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of every sort. And the waters will never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow will be in the cloud. I will look at it so that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of every kind that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me 
and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, our sermon series for the next several weeks is going to be on the scripture passages of each of the stained glass windows that have been recently made by one of our members installed and even last Sunday dedicated all to the praise and glory of our Lord. And this week we consider actually the second window, Noah's Ark and the Rainbow. Now, all of these stained glass windows all fall under the general theme, simply the calling. And we recognize two things about the calling, that it is God who calls us to faith. It is not by works that we are saved, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that is even a gift of God. And it is with that believing heart that we understand that it is by God we have been called to serve. And we serve with that believing heart using our time, talents, and treasures all to the glory of God, carrying out our Christian duty, which is summed up so beautifully in what is called the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And one of the most prominent men of the Old Testament times, who was certainly called to faith and called to serve, was the man Noah. Noah, we are told from Holy Scriptures, was a man who walked with God. He was a man who listened to God's word and took it to heart and let God speak for himself. He always took God at his word and lived according to it. In fact, the Holy Scriptures describe him also as a righteous man, a man who was right in the sight of God. And the only way any of us can be right in the sight of God is through faith in the Savior, because through faith in our Savior Jesus, righteousness is credited to us. It was free, but it wasn't cheap, because Jesus gave his life as payment for the sins of the world, our sins included. He's also described as a man that comes with integrity. So he didn't simply just talk the talk, he actually walked the walk, and especially as he carried the love of God in, with, in the way he treated his fellow man. And he did so during a time it really was during the time of complete darkness on the earth. Oh, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. I would say that the times before Noah were, were probably the darkest in world history. And we are certainly getting closer and closer to those dark days once again. In fact, many would argue we're in them already. And I would agree. And why I call them such a dark days is because during the time of Noah, there was ungodliness. 
And where there is ungodliness, where one starts to fall away from God and his holy word and taking that word to heart is one who begins to live for his own selfish self. And at the heart of that kind of religion is today we call humanism. Man is God. Man makes the decision. The world revolves around me, myself, and I. And not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God. So my dear friends, where there is ungodliness and godlessness, there is wickedness. For when the love of most grow cold, a love founded in the Lord God Almighty, who made us and saved us, then we show that ungodliness in the way we treat one another. It's wickedness. Here's how it was described in the opening verses of chapter 6 of Genesis. It says here, when daughters were born to people, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took as wives for themselves any of them they chose. Now there's all different kinds of interpretations concerning the sons of God and, and the daughters of men. Some believe that the sons of God are the angels and that the daughter of men is, is women, mankind. They're the offspring of Eve. And therefore angels having relationships with man ended up producing these Nephilim that is spoken of. And I actually saw a movie one time that showed these Nephilim as simply rock monsters who eventually turned into light fairies and ascended back into heaven. Well, that's pure foolishness and it's fantasy. No, keeping with the context of the Holy Scriptures and the verses and chapters before Genesis 6, it is clear that the sons of God is referring to the line of Seth. Remember Adam, then comes Seth. And Seth was part of the line of the Messiah, the Savior. That line, for the most part, were known as the believers. The, the daughters of men are clearly from the line of Cain. Cain who killed his brother. And that was the line of the unbelievers. So the believers were marrying the unbelievers. But not for the right reasons. Not because they were looking for God-fearing people, but because of beauty. And they married whoever they wanted, which was a very shallow way of going, falling into marriage and even falling into love, love based on simple beauty. As a result, they gave birth to those that were described as Nephilim, which is a transliteration from the Hebrew. We're not exactly sure what the word means because it's only used once in Scripture. But we do know that the root word has the idea of attack. So what ended up happening is these were men who were known to be violent and then were told, they became the powerful, famous men of ancient times. 
Oh, no doubt violence in the way they treated their fellow man. And people praised them for it. And people looked up to them for it. So where there is ungodliness, there is wickedness. And God said enough. He gave them 120 years to repent of their sins. 120 years to turn from their sinful ways and be, have sorrow over sin and look to their God for forgiveness and hope and follow the almighty word of God. And they did it. He gave them 120 years to repent. And they didn't. During that time, and we do not know when, God called the righteous man, this God-fearing man, Noah, to go and build an ark. On this ark would be Noah and his wife, would be his three sons and their three wives. So eight all together. And at this time, he told them two of every kind of animal. He, he said it in a more general way. Later, he'll be more specific, the number of animals that will be on. Do not think of this ark as simply a large ship that needs to steer. All it needed to do was float. In fact, the word ark literally in the Hebrew language means box. And many scholars believe that that's actually what it was a large box. So instead of thinking of, thinking of it as a ship, think of it as more of a barge. It was large. 450 feet long. That's one and a half football fields long. It was 75 feet wide. And here at Salem, our church is 30 by 70. So the length of our church would be actually a little short compared to the width of the ark. The height of it was actually four and a half stories wide, but it wasn't four and a half stories. It, there actually would be only three levels, clearly giving you more of a ceiling. There would actually be a roof on top, and under the roof, an 18-inch opening, no doubt for air exchange. Seven days before, seven days before God would send the flood, seven days before the end of the 120 years, God commanded Noah to collect the animals. No doubt God was involved in bringing the animals to him. We're told that two of the, two, one pair that is, two of the, of each of the unclean animals were to go in the ark, a male and a female, so that the species would continue. But when it came to the clean animals, there he actually said, by seven. Now there's a debate because literally it's by sevens, and so some take that as meaning that there was seven of the clean animals. So in other words, three pairs and one extra that may have been used by Noah as a sacrifice after they depart from the ark. Or you could take by sevens to simply mean that there were seven pairs, therefore a total of 14 each 
of the clean animals. Either way, there were more clean animals than the unclean animals. And the big reason why is because the clean animals is where man would, would find Noah and his family would use for food, and it would be from the clean animals, not the unclean, but from, from the clean animals would be used for sacrifices to the Lord God Almighty. After the seven days, the Lord closed up the ark and shut the door, and then the rain started. In fact, it would rain 40 days and 40 nights. The springs underneath the earth would open up and begin to flood the earth. The rain up above, spoken of as floodgates, would pour down. The water would rise to its highest level at the end of 40 days, which was 20 feet over the highest of all the mountains. And then for the next 110 days, there would be enough water and rain to keep it at that height. Which means two things. These floodwaters were clearly an act of destruction. Everything that was not on that ark, except for the fish, because God would make sure they would survive in the water. But the land animals, the birds, the insects, all the animals on the ark, Noah and his family, eight and all, would be the only ones to survive. Everyone else would be wiped out. Everything else would be completely wiped out. Yes, it was an act of destruction. And it will certainly be an act of destruction on the very last day of this world when God will destroy this world by fire. Concerning the flood, it was also an act of deliverance. In fact, the very floodwaters caused that ark to float. Again, delivering everyone inside. The Apostle Peter actually makes a big deal out of this. He actually refers to baptism as the floodwaters. Because in baptism, with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our sins are washed away. In other, in other words, it's like an act of destruction. Our sins are taken away, and as a result, there's an act of deliverance. Because the result is the forgiveness of sins. The result is all the blessings that Jesus won for us with his perfect life, and with his death on the cross, and with his resurrection is ours. You see, wherever there is the forgiveness of sins, there is new life and eternal salvation. So as baptized children of God, you are saved. This is God's insurance to all believers. And it is this blessed baptism that God wants for all nations, all people, of all ages, yes, even little itty-bitty babies. Because good, because baptism is not just simply a good work we do. Baptism is God's work for us. When water is applied in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. At the end of 150 days of the water at its highest level, 
God will now have the waters recede. But it will not be like watching it go down a drain in the bathtub. It will not happen quickly. In fact, Noah and all the animals will be on the ark still for over six months. In fact, we're told that during this time, God remembered Noah, which is a beautiful gospel word that cannot be overlooked. And it wasn't like God forgot them and now all of a sudden, oh yeah, oh I got some people on an ark. No, God remembered them. A beautiful gospel word, which means that when God remembers you, he shows kindness to you. That's what the thief on the cross was crying to Jesus for when he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus would reply, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So with God showing his kindness to Noah and all living creatures on that ark, the waters receded. The ark would come to rest on the mountains of Ararat, specifically where we're not told. So on the 11th, sometime during the 11th month, stay on the ark, Noah decides to send out a raven, and the raven just flies away. So it doesn't tell him very much. Sometime after that, he'll send out a dove, which, by the way, will fly around, but it does come back, saying that there's still too much water on the land. They can't depart yet. He'll wait another week and find out that the dove that he sends out comes back with a leaf in its mouth, which tells him immediately that vegetation is growing. Great sign. But he still waits another week, sends out the dove again, and this time the dove doesn't come back. But keep in mind, he still doesn't depart from the ark because you have mud. The land isn't totally dry yet, even though the water has receded. He will be on that ark for at least another six weeks when God finally commands him to leave the ark, his very home that he has been in, that he's been on, for one year and ten or one year and ten days. And when he gets off the ark, he immediately takes a number of the clean animals and offers a sacrifice, a thank offering to the Lord God Almighty. And the Lord responds, pleased with the offering, with a new covenant. A covenant that was universal for the entire earth. A covenant that would be one-sided because Noah couldn't do anything or give God anything when God made this promise. God made a promise that he would keep and knowing that God always keeps his promise, he would never go back on this one. And the promise simply was he would never send a flood again. Even though every inclination of a man's heart is evil from childhood, he would not send a flood again. And the sign that would remind each and every person, even to this very day, that God's not going to send a flood, that every time it rains, it will stop, is the rainbow. The rainbow which requires sunshine and water 
coming down from the clouds. And every time we see a rainbow, we're not just seeing a beautiful sight up in the sky. We are seeing a sign given by God himself, sent from God himself, that he will not send a flood again. This covenant reminds me of another covenant that you and I have. It's also a universal one, and it's also one-sided. There's nothing we can do in this agreement at all. In fact, it's a new covenant that fulfilled the old covenant, which actually was two-sided. The old covenant was, you follow my holy commands, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But Jesus fulfilled that old covenant by keeping the law perfectly, and now established a new covenant that you and I live under. And the new covenant is simply this. Whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. Again, it is one-sided, because even faith is a gift of God. There's nothing we can do to earn this. It is only by God's grace and mercy that he gives us forgiveness, new life, and eternal salvation. We enjoy and celebrate this very new covenant every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. Keep it in mind that when we take that bread and wine together with the body and blood of Christ, it is Jesus who said, this is now blood of the new covenant given for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is not just some good work we do. This is God's work that he does for us. And what a blessing it is to partake of the Lord's Supper, knowing we are under the new covenant, that through faith in Jesus, we are truly saved. So when you look at that stained glass window of the ark and the rainbow, keep in mind who made that all possible, the Lord God Almighty, who, yes, he hates sin, but a very God who is our Savior and who has paid for our sins. It is God who calls us to faith. It is God who called Noah to faith. And it is God who has called us to serve. All glory be and all praise be to our gracious and wonderful God. And it is to the praise and glory of our God, that this window, too, has been dedicated. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.